If you're staying in here, I'd ask you to either turn over in your bulletin to our text. We're looking at Exodus 33. We're continuing our um, journey through Exodus as we, um, we've been in it for over a year now. Time flies, doesn't it? Uh, and uh, I just... Uh, I have been encouraged in getting to slow down and study this wonderful account of God's rescuing His people, keeping His people, being patient with His people. We see His grace, His mercy on every page, even in the what you know the part where we often like get stuck and maybe stop reading. We were reading Exodus, that part where you're describing the architecture. And building instructions, even there you see God's glory and grace and that he's, wants, he's providing a way to draw near to His people and His people to draw near to Him. That is the heart of God. Um, we're coming to, to chapter 33 and maybe more than any other chapter, and I know this is, sounds big, but maybe more than any other chapter do we see the gospel and the need of Jesus. And that's, I mean that to kind of jar you. Like this is, this is such a big pivotal moment for Moses understanding the tension they're in. It's such a pivotal moment for Israel to understand what they really need from God and to understand how amazing it is that that need is met um, this this is a pivotal uh, passage for understanding all of scripture and and why we need Jesus and again you know if you're if you're new to here and you're surprised like really this is Exodus where's Jesus in it um, if you've noticed, if you're looking at our Revive uh, curriculum for our kids, it's called the One Big Story. We believe this is one big story. And in the Old Testament, the new is, is concealed. In the New Testament, the old is revealed. When we look at the Scripture, we're always looking at it through the lens of Jesus. And that's not, that's not just a, an option. That, that's the only way to get it. It's the only way to understand it. And we need the Old Testament to understand Jesus. We need Jesus to understand the Old Testament. And it's, and you're like, that's circular logic. Well, that's how it is. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> uh, and you'll see that. You see that so clearly in this text. So, um, so yeah, buckle up. This is, this is important. This is wonderful stuff, wonderful news. Um, and um, so let's read this together. Before I do that, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for um, this, your word. Lord, speak to us. Help us to see you, to see our needs, our need of redemption, our need of atonement, our need of protection, and then all, and our need of your presence. Um, and Lord, we thank you that you make a way. We thank you that in your because of your grace and favor, there is a way. You always make a way. So Lord, um, show us this, encourage us by this this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, that is Mount Horeb, 
uh, Mount Sinai. You and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give, give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people." When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord, Yahweh, used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again to the, into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, and I have your and I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Um, 
I remember um, being, I guess, about 15 and up, wanting so much to be on my own. Y'all, y'all remember that? Some of you are 14 and 15 now are like, I'm feeling it really hard right now. I really want it. You know? Like my parents, you know, I got a car when I was 17. That was, man, that freedom of that. To have a car, to have some, had some money in my pocket, to get and go and do things. I was ready when I turned 18 and went to college, ready to move out and go do my own thing. But let's go back a little ways. When you were four or five, if your parents said, here are the keys to the house, here's the car, here's some money, I've given you everything you need. Go ahead, go, live, enjoy the independence. At four or five, what would you say? No. <laughs> no. But you've got all the things. You've got a full pantry. Maybe you even got DoorDash on weekly delivery. Everything is in place. All that you need is given. All the stuff that makes life ne- that's necessary for life is given to you. But as, if you're four or five, you would begin to weep and wail. Why? Because it's not... The stuff that you need. It's not the stuff you find security in. It's what? It's in your, the presence of your parents. They're, they're there. They're taking care of you. That's what you want. And then a few years later, you're like, no, I'll take the stuff. I'm good. I'm ready. But when you're a kid, you don't want the stuff. It's like, if I have the car in the house, no, no. I, that would scare you more than anything, Right? You would take a, a tent or a box to live in as long as you had mom, mom, dad with you. And that's really this first point I want you to see. There's three points. And the first one is this. The promise is not enough. The promise isn't enough. Second is His presence is essential. And thirdly, we'll see He provides a way for us to bask in His glory and goodness. So this first point is the promise isn't enough because God says, and you remember, He relents. He says, I'm not going to start over with Israel. I'm not going to start over with the the nation of Moses (laughs) because I'm going to be faithful. He remembers His covenant. Again, that was, He never forgot it. But we see this, the reality that covenant breaking deserves death, deserves Rejection deserves isolation. But he goes, no, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be faithful. But then, and we think everything's good, but then we get to 33 and we realize, I'm going to give you what I promised. I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you the land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to give you the, 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 the I'm going to make you a nation. You're going to have all that I said. I'm going to provide an angel to go before you, to lead you, but I'm not going to go with you. And you might expect after the, the idolatry of Israel and, this, and the golden calf, they might go, great! Sure! But again, you see that this people, though they've messed up, though they've sinned and turned to an idol, the, the idols of Egypt to, 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 you know, to lead them, to guide them, they, they, they've come to the stage of repentance and they realize, you know what, it's... It's not the stuff. It's not the promise. It's God's presence that we need. 
he is essential. And, it, and it, it's encouraging to us as we see this. Like what, what God has done and the discipline and the, and, the, and the plague that's come upon them. That What has it shown them that, that I, we're, we're not, we can't do this on our own. We can't just, you give us the car keys and give us the map and give us, a, give us GPS and we're good to go and we can get to where we're going. No, we can't do it. We can't go forward. We, there, there, there's no way. It's not just that Moses understands that, but the people do. Look, the people heard this disastrous word. They mourned, verse 4, and no one put on his ornaments. Everyone was mourning. They took off their earrings, took off their, their, their bling for the young people. I, I know, I'm being goofy. Okay, anyway, uh, that was... We don't call it that anymore. We call it something else. I don't, I don't know what it is. Anyway, um, but they took off everything that would, anything that would show that they're happy and so, no, all that's gone. And, and we don't know why that is just to, to show mourning and, 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 and grieving. We know, we see later that God says, take all that off and I'm going to figure out what to do with you. Uh, but they do it of their own accord. God commands it. But they realize that there, there is no future moving forward. There is no, none of this inheritance that they've been promised unless God is there to secure it. Unless God is there to take care of them and provide for them and see them to what He's promised. His promise is not enough. And this... Man, this, this lesson is, is so critical for you and me as Christians. Maybe some of you are sitting here going, and we, we do this sometimes. We talk about it, and we've said this many times before in this church, if you've been here any amount of time, that, that, that salvation and all that comes with it is not, it's not a commodity. It's not that we need Jesus to come do this thing and then we get all this stuff. No, what, what the gospel is, is that, that, that we, we get Jesus. What is the way and the truth and the life? Justification? Sanctification? No, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And through Christ, because of His coming because of His presence, that's received. We, you know, we've talked about this, the idea of heaven. What is, what is heaven? Is heaven just like that song that I hate? <laughs> you know, we're going to go to big, big, go to heaven. There'll be a big, big yard where we can play football. I don't know. You know that one? I don't know. I don't even know the song. I just cleared it from my memory. That's, heaven is heaven because not, not that the stuff is there because streets of gold, because of even the, the people we love are there. Heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. That just forgiveness of sins and resurrection and all that we think of is, come, is the promise of God fulfilled. That's not enough. What we long for is what? What what we're made for is what? To commune with God. To see Him. To be restored. And for the people of Israel, they get it. (laughs) Please don't just... It's not... If you note, it says an angel, not the angel. This isn't 
We talked about the angel of the Lord going before Israel as they left Egypt. The angel of the Lord standing between them and the Egyptian army guarding their retreat, their entrance, and you know, crossing the Red Sea. This isn't the angel of the Lord, it's an angel. And angels are powerful and a big deal, but it's not. This isn't God with them. This is one of His messengers. And they go, no, 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 no. That's not what we're made for. We're made to be with you. We need you. This promise is not enough. It's not just what you're going to give us. It's not just the victories. It's not just the, 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 the milk and the honey and the land. We need you. And Moses says, if you're going to... If that's the way it's going to be, if, if, if we're supposed to go on without you, we might as well just not even go. Deep, profound truth. Not just realized by Moses, but all of Israel. They get it. They get it. We need Yahweh or we're lost. We're nothing without Him. So they come to find out, as we look at 12 through 16, that this presence of of God, the presence of Yahweh is essential. It's essential. We have to, he, has to, he has to be with them. And, and Moses' pleading shows that. And we're going to see that in a minute. But, but, but why, before we get there, why, why is it God says He's not going with them? Did you note that? If you're in our Faith for Conversations class that meets um, before the service at 9.30, they, they thought through this. And, and the reason is, He gives the answer. He goes, because if I was with you, I would consume you. That's not, that doesn't sound loving, does it? That doesn't sound like, if, if I go with you, I will consume you, for you are a stiff-necked people. Now, what does that mean? I'm 44 now. I forgot I was 44. Did I tell anybody that? I forgot for about a couple months what age I was. I'm old enough to forget how old I am. Anybody relate? Okay. I'm 44. My daughter reminded me of that. She goes, no, the candles were four and four on the cake. Yeah, you're 44. And I was like, oh yeah, math. Okay, um, but I'm 44 now and I wake up with stiff neck. I have that issue. I have a chiropractor. It's helpful. What does that mean, a stiff neck people? That's not it. What, what's the image? What does that mean? Well, if anybody driven like oxen, anybody done that? Raise your hand. To plow a field, anybody? Nobody? Weird. Okay, um, but that, that reference goes to that, that sometimes if you have an ox that, that won't go where you're directing it, you know, they have, the, they have the thing on it and they would, you know, guide it. And sometimes it's like, it's like having when your power steering fluid goes out. You know what I'm talking about? You know, I can't get the car to go or want. They're stiff neck. They don't take direction. And he's saying that's... And think about that, that image. That's what God's people are. That's what... That's our, in our fallenness. That's what we are. We just want to go where we want to go. And God's saying, because you don't go where I'm directing, because you're stiff neck and you're determined, like just the, the chapter before to... You know, hey, idols aren't a good idea. Don't do it. 
I'm the only God there is. Okay, let's worship these gods represented by this idol. You're like, no. You know, it didn't take, it took 40 days to break the first two commandments. They're stiff-necked. He goes, if I'm in your presence, you'll be consumed. Yet, His presence is essential. You would think that would be enough, right? If you heard this, this, this reason, think about it. Look, verse 5. The Lord has said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I will consume you. Then you would go, Alright, we'll, we'll go on without you. And yet, they know, even with that said... There is no future apart from Yahweh. They've seen the the drastic. They've seen the the weight and the and, and the extent of their sinfulness. They felt God's discipline on them through the plague and through the three thousand being killed that were leading in that worship of the idol. So now they're living in this tension of. We deserve to not be in His presence. We deserve His wrath, yet His presence is necessary. His presence is essential. And that's what Moses says. That's the argument he makes. He, we, we have this account of this tent, not the tabernacle. Uh, we, the tabernacle is later referred to as the tent of meeting, but this is, it says this is the other way that Moses has, been, has customarily communicated with Yahweh, that, that what he would do is take a tent, set it up outside the camp. And so when we hear this conversation happening, this pleading from Moses, we realize that that's where it's happening. It's in this tent where Moses would go, and it says it would speak to him face to face. And that's an idiom, but it means that it wasn't, it wasn't through a vision, it wasn't through a dream. But he would enter into this tent, and God would speak, and Moses would converse with Yahweh. And Moses is in this tent, and he's, and he's talking to Yahweh, and he's saying, I'm, I'm going to send you an angel, I'm going to tell you where to go, but I'm not going with you. And Moses, as the one who experiences in, a, in a some way this presence, this, this guidance of, of Yahweh, as he meets with him in this tent, um, that he's going, how are we going to go forward without this? I can't imagine that we could do this on our own, that I can do this on my own. Look what he says in verse 12. Moses said to Yahweh, the Lord, See you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and, you have found fav- and I have also found favor, that you have found favor in my sight. He's saying, if, if that's true, if you know me, and if I'm yours, and you've given me a name, and you know my name again, that idea of knowing a name is knowing the person, Right? That's why for God to say, that. that's why there's that third commandment of not taking the, the Lord's name in vain because the name is Him. It embodies Him. And he goes, if you know my name, you know me. And you have, I have favor with you. How could you not go with me? How could you turn me away? That's His plea. You know me. You've called me. 
Go back to earlier in Exodus. Moses is like, I don't want the job. This is too much for me. But what's the comfort? I will go with you. I will be with you. This is going to be the same. We have a mention of Joshua here in this text. And he's kind of he's just kind of on the sidelines. He's the assistant to the assistant manager. He's this, you know, assistant to the manager. He's really just kind of there, but we know if we keep reading, he's gonna take the reins. He's gonna be the one who leads them. But and, and what's the first thing God says to him? Be strong and courageous and go. But again, what's the basis of that strength? What's the basis of that courage? I go before you. Moses is saying, there's no strength, <laughs> there's no courage if you're not going with, with me. If, I, if you know my name and I have favor in your sight, then how could, how could you send me by, off by myself? He goes in 13, now if I've found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. Not only is he saying, look, you, you, you've, you've called me, you know me, you said that, you've, you, that you have found favor, I have found favor in your sight, but also remember that this is not just my people, this is your people. This nation is yours. And then God, again, very similar to chapter 32. This isn't God being, you know, wishy-washy. This isn't our Lord and Savior, you know, really throwing out His promise. It's really the same thing He did in chapter 32. Do you see? I want you, I want you to function as mediator. Not the mediator, but a mediator pointing to the ultimate mediator. I want you to... To come to me on behalf of the people and make a case and and, and represent them. And and that's what he does. And God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And have you ever been in a situation where you're... You're, you're going to have a conversation with someone, you know there's a conflict, and you've and you got all your arguments lined up, and you're like, this is all I'm going to say. And you're like, okay, for, number one, da-da-da-da. They go, okay, okay, and number two, da-da-da-da. And number three is like, I already said yes. <laughs> you know? You, you had, the first point, I was, already, I was already there. And that's kind of what happens here. That's what happens. Moses says, Look, okay, I've got my, okay, everybody's, we're all, we're, we're freaking out out here. We're mourning. You, we heard you're going to send us where you want us to go, but you're not going to be with us. I've got, I've got, I've got to make this. And this, his first appeal was heard, and God says, I will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then he just keeps going. And he said, if your presence will not go with me, he's like, he just said that I'm going to go with you. But you see how... Des- generally desperate and urgent Moses is being in his request and how desperate he, he wants and knows that they need God's presence. Even though he said, if I'm with you, I will consume you. How shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? If He says, the only reason that we are distinct and set apart is because... You go with us. It's your presence. It's your favor that set us apart. 
Not just what you promise, not just what you give. So we have this necessity for God's presence that it's not the stuff He gives, not the promise He makes, but His being with them. That if He's not there, there will be no victory, there will be no land, there will be no... As you, as you read ahead through the story, you see it, right? If God wasn't there when they came to the Jordan, would they have crossed? If God wasn't there when they... When they approached Jericho, eventually, how could the victory have been won? Like, God does it all. He does it Himself. His promise is not enough. He has to keep it. He has to be there. His presence is essential. Moses knows that. They would never have left Egypt if not for His presence and His favor and His face looking upon them, leading them, guiding them, Himself. But God knows that. God knows they need Him. God knows that His people need Him. And, and that is, that's our hope. That's, our, that's, the, that's the good news, is it not? Not just that God pronounces forgiveness, not just that He makes a way, here's ten steps, here's ten laws, if you keep them, you can approach me. God Himself makes it so. God Himself brings His people home. That is what we see. But we're also left in this tension How can we have His presence when we're so sinful and stiff-necked? How in the world can those two things come together? And we see the answer represented here in 17 through 23. The Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken... I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses says, Please show me your glory. And that's one of the, if you read that, you're going, Hey, stop while you're ahead, Moses. <laughs> what, you, he's going to go with you? What, what do you think possessed him to say that? That I'm go- Moses, I know you. You have my favor. I'm going to do what you ask. And then he says, Please show me your glory. And I think the answer is this. The more you get of God, the more you get His favor and His mercy, the more you want. The more you understand Him, the more He knows you, the more you know Him. Your cup's never full. He's infinite, eternal, and, 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 and His glory is infinite and eternal. And He just goes, 
look, we don't deserve this. We've, we've sinned as a people. We, yeah, and, and yet you say you're going to come with us. I want even more. It's a very natural response. And sometimes if you read this, you go, I don't, that seems like a weird thing to say. It seems odd that he would push it, that we're really not getting it on some level. The more we get of this God of the Scripture, the more we get of this God of full of goodness and mercy and grace, the more we should want. I think it's a very... I mean, he's just overwhelmed that God would grant his request and would, con- would even consider to move forward with him and the stiff-necked people. Show me your glory. I want more of what you have. I want to see more of who you are. And then we get a glimpse of how God's going to reconcile this, these things that are at odds. If I don't have His presence, there is no future. But if I'm in His presence and my sin, there is no future. And God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you my glory. I'm going to appear before you. Not in the way He did the tent. You know, it's kind of confusing. Moses saw Him face to face. But you can't see my face. What's going on with that? Uh, face to face is an idiom, a Hebrew idiom. It just means like talking one-on-one. They talked just because he was in the tent. He, this, is, this is completely new, completely other category. He said, can we just not meet in the tent but just talk up here? He's going, no, I'm going to show you. Who. And you're going, he was already on the mountain, right? Thunder and lightning and fire. And he was already in the midst of that. He goes... That didn't even... This is different. This is is God not just appearing as something that we can comprehend and can handle, but this is God in His fullness. He goes, I'm going to appear, but if I do, you'll be consumed. There it is. Exactly what He said to the Israelites. And He's saying to Moses, Moses, just like one of them, sinner, if, if you behold me in my fullness... My full glory. You, would, you wouldn't last. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you on this rock. And I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. And I'm going to put my hand over the cleft of the rock. And out my glory will pass. And you will see, in a sense, the back of it. The tail end of it. Like, just enough. What you can handle. That you will behold my glory, but the only way you can behold my glory is if I protect you in the cleft of the rock. Now, I hope you, hope you noticed as we were looking, as you are called to worship, our, our reflection, you have this phrase that keeps repeating from this point onward through the scripture. You are my, the rock, my salvation. You are the rock of my refuge. And I'm convinced that this is going back to this passage. To Exodus 33. 
That how do we reconcile the essential the, his, the, the essential presence of God and yet our extreme and, and sin and, and deserving of His wrath? How do we reconcile the two? God has to make a way. God has to provide a way for us to be in His presence and not be consumed. If you go to... Um, That's not the passage I want to do. But there's a, there's a hymn we sing a lot. Uh, a beautiful hymn called Rock of Ages. What does it say? Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from the wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure and save me from wrath and make me pure. Who is the rock? Who is the rock of refuge? It's God. Refuge from what? From God. From His wrath. And just as Moses is put in that cleft so he could be in the presence of God, we too, what's, how does Paul talk about our relationship with God? How did, what does he say again and again and again? That we are in Christ. We're secure in Christ. We are clothed in, with Christ and His righteousness. That, it, that God made a way. God made a way for Moses to see His glory. God made a way for... Make, was making a way, had a plan from the very beginning of a time to make a way for Him to be in the presence of His sinful people and yet show favor and mercy to them. And that way is the rock of refuge is Jesus Christ. And that's how you and I can be in the presence of God and, and ask for the presence and desire the presence of God is because Jesus is our refuge. Jesus is our rock of refuge. In Him we are protected. We are clothed in the righteous, His righteousness and thus acceptable to God the Father. In love He sent His Son. It's not that the Father is the wrathful one and that Jesus is the merciful one, but in love God sent His Son, His only begotten Son, so, so that we may be spared. We may be in His presence, be in His glory, behold His glory, and yet not be consumed. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. And that is still the, the, the promise, the promise to our people. And we see that more fully now on this side of Christ that, yes, what they, what they came to realize somewhat, that it's not just the promise and the stuff, but it's the person, it's God himself. We know that now more fully because the, 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 the better land, the better tabernacle, the better, uh, the better high priest is Jesus himself. It always has pointed to our need to be with God, reconciled to God, by God. And here we see that picture. This is how it's done. A refuge, a rock, protection, so that we may be and enjoy the glory. And you notice what it says. He doesn't say glory. He said, so you may see my goodness. My goodness. The goodness of God can be enjoyed because we've been protected. We've been, we've been guarded. We've been covered by Christ. We are in Christ. Some of you, 
Some of you are sitting in this, in this church right now thinking, I want just enough of this Christianity stuff to get by. But if, if, if anyone here really knew what I was like, if God really knew, now that's ridiculous to think that way, God knows everything, right? But if God knew, I, I would be consumed. I, there would be no hope. I, and, and some of us are not, some of us are kind of keeping God at a distance and, 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 and just getting just close enough, hoping some of this spirit and Christianity that would kind of rub off on us. But we're so concerned that there's no way I can be in His presence, draw near to Him. If, if I really did, He would reject me. And I'm, I want you to hear this. God knows that. And God has made a way for people like me to be in the presence and enjoy His goodness and grace. And it's, it's Jesus. Jesus is enough. If you're in Christ, you can draw near. If you're in Christ, this, there's no longer any fear of being consumed or being rejected. He's done it. He's, you're secure. I hope you hear that this morning. If you're struggling with that, consider, consider this. God's saying, I know. I know that. I know you're a big sinner. I know you struggle. I, and, you, and you will until I take you home. But you're secure in the rock of refuge that is Jesus Christ. Our hope is not in just the stuff He's promised, not in just the things He can give, not in just, but the hope is in His presence. And through Jesus, this, this, this rock, this rock of ages, now... We can enjoy His presence, enjoy His goodness, because the guilt of our sin has been dealt with. And that, that's the hope, right? The hope is, and it's a sure hope, because for, uh, 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, talking about the glory of God, who God is. But then, face to face, I know in part now, but then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. I mean, almost parallel to what Moses is saying here. I know you and you know me. I want to know you more. And because there is a day, because of what Christ has done, that we will see Him face to face. In, full, in His fullness of His glory. And know Him as He is fully known. That is what it's always been about. This essential presence of God. And He makes a way. He reconciles these two things. And makes it a way for us to be near Him. And Him be near us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank You. That You don't just give us the house and the keys to the car and the groceries, for we would be lost and undone. But you are present with us, present by your Spirit. Yes, Jesus, you, you ascended on high, but then you said, I go to prepare a place. You go before us, and then you, and then you are so present by your Spirit 
There's not a moment of the day that we are apart from you or you are not with us. And we thank you that we don't just have what you, we don't just get what you have to offer, that we get you. And Lord, may we cry out each and, each and every day. The more we see of your kindness and your goodness, may we say we want more of your glory. We want to see more and more and more, knowing that one day that will come to, to full expression and we shall see you as you are and be made into the image and be the likeness of Christ without sin, glorious to behold and Enjoy your presence forever and ever. What good news, what amazing news. May that future hope shape our present, present reality and help us to not shy away but draw near knowing we have a rock of refuge in you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.